All right, Mark chapter 12 is our text this morning. Five more weeks in Mark. So we're getting right down to it now. So here's our verses. It says, Then Jesus began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a place for the wine vat, and built a tower. And he leased it to vine dressers and went into a far country. Now, at vintage time, he sent a servant to the vine dressers that he might receive some of the fruit of the vineyard from the vine dressers. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty handed. Again, he sent them another servant, and at him they threw stones, wounded him in the head, and sent him away shamefully treated. And again, he sent another, and him they killed, and many others, beating some and killing some. Therefore, still having one son, his beloved, he also sent him to them last, saying, They will respect my son. But those vine dressers said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and cast him out of the vineyard. Therefore, what will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the vine dressers and give the vineyard to others. Have you not even read this scripture? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they sought to lay hands on him, but feared the multitude, for they know, knew he had spoken this parable against them. So they left him and went away. Then they sent to him some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to catch him in his words. When they had come, they said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and care about no one, for you do not regard the person of men, but teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Shall we pay or shall we not pay? But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said to them, why do you test me? Bring me a denarius that I may see it. So they brought it, and he said to them, Whose image and inscription is this? And he said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus answered and said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Then some of the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him, and they asked him, uh, and they asked him saying, Teacher, Moses wrote to us that if a man's brother dies and leaves his wife behind and leaves no children, his brother should take his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and dying he left no offspring. The second took her, and he died, nor did he leave any offspring. And the third likewise. So the seven had her and left no offspring. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, when they rise, whose wife will she be? For all seven had her as wife. Jesus answered and said to them, Are you not therefore mistaken, because you do not know the Scriptures, nor the power of God? For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. But concerning the dead, that they rise, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the burning bush passage, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? He is not God of the dead, but God of the living. You are therefore greatly mistaken." Then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving uh, that he had answered them well, asked him, Which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So the scribe said to him, Well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth, for there is one God, and there is no other but he. And to love him with all the heart, and with all understanding, and with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all the whole burnt offering and sacrifices. 
Now when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. But after that, no one dared question him. And Jesus answered and said while he taught in the temple, How is it that the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? For David himself said by the Holy Spirit, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore David himself calls him Lord. How is he then his son? And the common people heard him gladly. Then he said to them in his teaching, Beware of scribes who desire to go around in long robes, love greetings in the marketplaces, and the best seats in the synagogues, and the best places at the feasts, who devour widows' houses and for pretense make long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury, and many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which make a quadrans. So he called his disciples to himself, and he said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury, for they all put in out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. It's interesting to watch Jesus interact with the group of religious leaders that you know we commonly refer to as the Pharisees. Um, here we see that, and throughout the Gospels, we see that there really were three or four different groups that sort of hung around and hassled Jesus from time to time, uh, actually all the time. Uh, there were the scribes, and they were seen as experts in the law, or experts in God's word. There were the Pharisees, who were seen as incredibly pious and righteous, and you know they did all of the things we talk about and all these crazy laws and rituals that they followed. And then there were the Sadducees, uh, who were a wealthy ruling class and were perceived as blessed and successful in material things. And here we have a whole chapter of these guys coming and barraging Jesus with question after question about all these different topics. Now, because of the text, we know that the real reason that they were doing this was because they were trying to trap Jesus into saying something unlawful or something anti-Roman or something blasphemous so that they could then move forward with the plan they already had to murder him. I mean, the, the text tells us that out and out. But as we look at this chapter devotionally... We can see that the parable and their discussions and what Jesus was looking at and what he was teaching reveal to us our own hearts as individuals. Because even though we may not reject Jesus like the Pharisees did, we don't. We've received Jesus as believers. I think it is safe to say, however, that we each have the tendency to resist the Lord like the Pharisees did. Uh, you know, I think it's, 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 it's a tendency that we each have. When, when God comes to change us or to correct us in some way, that's our sin nature, uh, a desire to resist that change and resist that correction. The sin nature is, by definition, at odds with Christ's calling on our life. The, the Lord calls us to repentance, meaning you turn all the way around and head the other way. And so our sin nature is headed in one direction, and the calling of Christ points us in the opposite direction. And, and, and our sin nature, our enemy, the devil, the whole world around us, even though they are conquered by the power of the resurrection, those things, those, those adversaries still have the opportunity to get us off track, to get us distanced from God, and get us to resist his power and his plan for our lives. So while we have received Jesus Christ and received his testimony and his gospel, uh, we're not rejecting him like the Pharisees. Each individual person has that resistance uh, deep in their hearts against the things of God. And so we get this warning over and over again throughout the Bible. Throughout the whole Bible, we get this warning again and again, like that your heart, the human heart is wicked and it resists the change that God wants to bring and that we must open ourselves up to that. 
Whether it's the example of Solomon or the exhortation of the epistles or the out-and-out just called-on-the-rug letter to the church at Ephesus there in Revelation, we as God's people need to be awake to the fact that there's a resistance within us. There is a desire to question God and to question what he has commanded. That, after all, was the original problem in the Garden of Eden. That, that's how it happened. The devil came to Eve and he said, did God say? And then Eve started thinking, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm gonna, I don't really believe. I'm going to question what God has said. I'm going to question what he has commanded, and I'm going to resist what he has done. Um, and and it, that problem is, is, the, is the same thing that we've all inherited as human beings with a sin nature. But what we see here in this chapter, remarkably, is Jesus reaching out to even these Pharisees. I mean, you know, the Lord has harsh things to say to them and direct things to say to them. But even these terrible, hypocritical, whitewashed tombs, Jesus sits them down and he says, look, here's what's going on. You're supposed to be God's people, but you don't understand God's word. You don't understand what I'm doing here. You're resisting the kingdom. And therefore, your lives are going to be wasted. And he's giving them an opportunity to repent and an opportunity to turn from their way. Uh, now, again, I'm not suggesting that we are Pharisees. But what I am suggesting is that the same motivation that we see in them can lurk around in our hearts. And we can watch for it by understanding God's word and doing what God asks us to do. Because the great mistake that these guys made was described by Jesus there in verse 24. He said, Jesus answered and said to them, Are you not therefore mistaken because you do not know the scriptures nor the power of God? Now, that was a really incredible thing for Jesus to say to these guys because according to everyone else around them, according to everybody in the, in the culture there and you know everybody in the multitude, they would look at the scribes and the Pharisees and Sadducees, and they would say, all these guys do is study the scriptures. All these guys do is know God's word. Uh, and and, and you, you could easily say, yeah, these guys know their way around the scriptures. And, and I think that's an interesting way to think about how Pharisees, you know, or these religious guys, uh, how they approach God's word. Because you see here that they, they keep coming to Jesus and they're trying to get around things. They're trying to get around different things that the Lord has said. And they're trying to get around what Jesus has said to them individually that, hey, you're rejecting the cornerstone. You're going to face condemnation. The, the, the father is going to come. The owner of the vineyard is going to come and wipe you out if you don't uh, receive the son and, and all of these things. But they're trying to get around all of that. And they keep coming to the Lord and asking, essentially, what's the minimum requirement uh, for them to be rewarded by God. They, you know, whether it's marriage or taxation or all these other things, they keep coming to Jesus and, they, and essentially they're saying, okay, what's my obligation? What do I have to do so that the, so that the Lord has to reward me? <clears throat> what, it, what about this situation over here? What about this loophole I think I've discovered? You know, and, and they wanted to keep asking Jesus all these weird hypothetical uh, questions because what they didn't want to do was deal with their own hypocrisy and their own need to repent. So Jesus tells them this parable, and it says they knew he was talking, speaking the parable about them. And instead of taking that and, and, and repenting of, of how they're living their life and what they're doing to the Lord, they start saying, okay, well, here's a hypothetical situation. Why don't you answer me this? Or here's this other weird you know, hypothetical situation, and we want you to explain this to us. And, and they didn't want to deal with uh, their own need for repentance. And I know I certainly have this sort of mindset sometimes. You know, the Lord will show up uh, and, and in a Bible study or in my personal reading or, you know, just the Holy Spirit. And, and, and he'll come to me and have some change or some correction for me in my life. 
And when that happens, I find that all of a sudden I, I'm really busy with other stuff. I'm really busy with other thoughts. And, uh, I, you know, I, I'm really busy with other spiritual things that, after all, Lord, I'm doing this over here really well. And so I don't have time to deal with this, you know, area of correction that, or this area of rebuke that you've brought into my life. I, I'm, I'm busy over here doing all kinds of other stuff. Or I start reasoning my way out of what God is asking me to do. Okay, well, Lord, yeah, I mean, yeah, I know you want me to change, you know, this area of my life, or I know you want me to kind of repent of this thing I did, but after all, you know, here are the different rationalizations of why I had to do that, you know. Uh, or, you know, what, what we do a lot more, I, at least what I do, I start letting God know about what somebody else is doing. Okay, well, yeah, Lord, you, you know, you've come to correct me, but after all, I'm going to pray about the sin of somebody else over there. This person over here, that's who you really need to be bothering with your rebuke and your correction and all that kind of stuff. And those things, those things that we naturally do sometimes, and, and they're simply a resistance against the Lord so that we can avoid the submission that he's calling us to. Um, and you see it happening here. Jesus says out and out to these guys, he says, you know what? I am your savior. I am the son uh, that has come uh, and, and given you an opportunity to do what you're supposed to do. And you need to repent. And now all of a sudden they need to talk to him about marriage in heaven. And they need to talk to him about taxation. And they need to talk to him about how to rank the commandments and, and, and all these other phony things that you see they didn't even care about. The Sadducees, they, they're coming to talk to him all about heaven and the resurrection. And they don't even believe in the resurrection. They just don't want to deal with the fact that the Lord is calling them to repentance. And that's the moment where we find out how well we know the scriptures and the power of God. Because Jesus says, that is your big problem. You don't know the scriptures or the power of God. When the Lord comes to us, comes to me as an individual, and he says, hey, repent. Turn away from this attitude or from this situation. Surrender this issue or this decision or, or this control to me. Give it to me. And when God does that, that's when we discover whether we know the God of the scriptures and his power in our lives. That's the moment. Because in God's word, we see an incredible amount of provision. I mean, if we understand the scriptures, not just know the scriptures as, as in know about the scriptures, but if we know the scriptures, if we understand that it's really God's word and what it says, if we know them, we'll see an incredible amount of provision. We'll see who God really is and what he's actually done for us. You know, even in just this little chapter, we can learn a lot about what God has done for us as people of earth. We learn that he's prepared a life for us to live. He's prepared a little garden with vines to bear fruit and, and hedges to protect us and towers to watch over us. He's provided us a work to do so that we can be a part of his forever kingdom. He's provided heaven for us where we will be glorified and in his presence forever. He's given us his word so that we might know who he is and prophecy so that we might trust what he says. He's given us his power so that we can navigate through life pleasing him. I mean, that's just from this chapter, all the things that God has given to us and provided for the people of the earth. And to all of that, to all of that revelation of what God has done, all of who he is, these so-called religious leaders, all they could ask was, so what's the minimum? So what do I really have to do so that God is forced to bless me and honor me? Well, what's my obligation here so that, you know, you don't have anything on me, essentially, is what they were asking him. How can I be magnified in, in God for something that I'm already doing? Uh, and it's, it's really sad, this resistance that we see them uh, against putting against the Lord. And, of course, you know, ironically, you know, they come to him and they ask him, you know, about that. And, ironically, the answer Jesus gave them was, yeah, you have to give all to me. You want to know what you have to give? You have to give it all. That's what I'm looking for. That's what God is looking for. 
Not a self-serving faith, not a religion that props people up over others. He's looking for everything. He says, okay, you want to know what the commandment is? Love me with everything. Follow me with everything. Give everything to me, everything of your being. And then on top of that, go and love your neighbor more than you love yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself and, and live your life as if you were, you know, as if that guy was you. And um, incredible. It's an incredible statement that the Lord uh, makes. And, and that's what he said to these guys. He says, you know, if you knew me, if you understood what I have done for you, if you understood what God has provided and this life that he has, has intended for you, you'd love me. You would give yourselves to me uh, like the widow gave all that she had uh, because the widow understood what God had provided for her and the widow understood that God was in control of her life. And so she may not have been materi uh, successfully materially, uh, excuse me, she might not have been successful materially like the Sadducees were. You know, if you looked at the Sadducees there and you see how much money they had and how much power they had and how much prominence they had. And then you look at this widow. She had like two pennies, essentially, to her whole name. And you look at her and she may not have been successful materially, but she knew God and she knew his power. And she was able to live out the calling that Christ placed on her life. She was able to actually do what Jesus said. There's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for you to give me everything. Give me complete control of your life. Give me complete trust. Give me, you know complete devotion and this lady walked over and dropped her two pennies in and says okay lord i know who you are i know your scriptures i know your power in my life so here you go you'll provide me a couple more pennies you'll provide me the food that i need you'll provide me you know the life that you've planned for me and what we need to do is understand that there is a resistance in our hearts there is every one of us has a resistance against god in our hearts it's the sin nature there is a nagging suspicion down there that god doesn't know what he's talking about that, that's what Adam and Eve brought into the world. Or worse, there is a persistent desire to set ourselves up as God over our own lives. I think sometimes we convince ourselves that we can be middle management. We can call our own shots and kind of manage our own lives. But, you know, we can still please the Lord over, in, you know, over here with some token habit or some ritual or some religious status. That's essentially what the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees we're doing. And this whole chapter reveals to us that if we know God, if we know his word and, and, and not just, you know, how to find loopholes for Sabbath regulations, that's how they knew his word. They knew how to get around the scriptures. Okay, here's how I navigate so that I can carry a package on the Sabbath and not call it work. And, you know, but if we actually know God, if we understand who he is and what he's done and what he's planned for our lives, then we're going to understand the power that he's made available to us. And we will understand how possible it really is for us to walk with him in the way he's called us to, to actually give ourselves over to him, to love like he loves and to sacrifice like he sacrificed. Now, we may not do it perfectly, but the Lord doesn't ask us to do it perfectly. We may not do it perfectly, but we can do it effectively as the Lord works through our lives. But to discover this kind of satisfaction and confidence in Jesus the kind of faith that makes it possible for a person to actually put her last two pennies into the collection plate, uh, we have to put down the resistance in our hearts. We have to put down the rebellion that's trying to knock us off the tracks. We have to recognize that there is a force within our hearts, the old man, the sin nature. There is the world around us, and there's our enemy, the devil, that is right now working to knock us off track, to knock us off the disciple road, and to distance us from the Lord. We have to put down that rebellion. We have to stop trying to rationalize our way out of crucifying self, out of loving our neighbor, out, out of submitting to the Lord. Uh, we have to stop it. 
And this resistance of God isn't always an active denial. You know, like I said, we're not Pharisees. The resistance that's in our hearts isn't always like we see the Pharisees and the scribes doing where it's like, hey, we're going to murder Jesus. Let's figure out a way where we can murder Jesus. I mean, that's an active rejection and resistance, and it's not always like that. Sometimes it's much more subtle than that. If we look within our hearts and we see that we're afraid to interact with God, if we think, I don't really want to hear from God because I don't want him to bring change. I don't want him to bring correction in my life. If we're afraid he's going to prune some back some branch in our lives and we don't want that. Or if we're content to just do the minimum. You know, the Pharisees a lot of times were coming to him and saying, hey, what's the minimum? And if that's kind of our heart or, you know, if, if we're content to, you know, using sports vernacular, if we're content to, I just want to be a minor league Christian. You know, I just want to be a single A Christian. I don't really need to, I don't really want to be a double A or triple A or pro Christian. I'm just, I'm content to be this minimum level then we can be sure that resistance against God has gained ground in our hearts. Because God has an incredible work for us to do. He has an incredible little garden that he's planned for our lives and a, and a fruitfulness like we saw last week. And the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees, they were God's people. I mean, we have to remember that. I mean, they were, they were the Jews. I mean, they, they had all the provision and all the promise and all the potential that God had offered. Uh, but over time, they had decided to place self in the role of God. They, they resisted the correction and transformation that God wanted to do. And the result was what we see here. They were a joke. I mean, they were, an op they were the opposite of what God had called them to be, and their lives were wasted. And so let's not become Pharisees. Let's not become Solomon, who walked away from the Lord at the end of his life. Let's not become the church at Ephesus. Instead, let's put down the resistance of God and receive the life God has made for us. We can't do it by listing out a hierarchy of habits. We can't do it by saying, what's the bare minimum? We do it by knowing God, by knowing his word where he has revealed himself to us, and by believing in the power that he has made available to us today. So let's do that.